asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking the unspoken rules of career success with Gorik Ng. Getting ahead in life and succeeding in your career depends on just a lot more than doing a great job. Uh, just because you're a, a competent software engineer or nurse or, or whatever it is that you do, that doesn't mean that you will automatically climb the ranks and see your salary increase with promotions, with additional responsibility. And that's because there are things that managers and uh, things that bosses expect, but they never explain to you. This is the basis for Gorik Ng's best-selling book, The Unspoken Rules, Secrets to Starting Your Career Off Right. Gorik is a career advisor at Harvard, focusing on coaching first-generation low-income students. Uh, but then before that, he gained uh, plenty of professional experience from working in management, consulting, investment banking, and as a researcher with the Harvard Business School. But regardless of your specific job, we're excited to discuss the different unspoken ways that you can find success in your career. Gorik, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Joel, Matt, thanks so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, well, we're thrilled to have you, Gorik. And yeah, this is going to be really, I think, a really interesting conversation. Your research and your history um, are just going to make for a really like, yeah, th there's a lot of good stuff to cover here today. But before we get into some of that stuff, I, I want to know, Matt and I, we like craft beer, as you know, and uh, mm -hmm. it is something that we spend a decent bit of money on in the here and now while trying to save and invest well for the future. So yeah, do you have something like that in your life, uh, a splurge that you're, make, uh, you're making while you're also prioritizing putting some money away in your savings account or and also like in, in those investment accounts? <laughs> it has to be ice cream. Chunky okay, ice cream. Way. <laughs> <laughs> I like to work for my ice cream, so it needs to be chunky. Uh, need to put in some effort for it to go down. Wait, what, what do you mean? That do you have it, like a favorite brand or something like that? Or, yeah, you said it needs to be chunky. What do you mean? The, the is that like, like moose tracks or what? Yeah, like moose oh, tracks. Okay. Anything that I need to chew on. And okay. funny, funny you say, what does chunky mean? Because I've actually gotten that question from a number of, of I've ice never cream heard ice before. cream described as chunky before, but <laughs> I, I, you're talking about... Um, in the beer world, we, they call them adjuncts. Uh, <laughs> so all the additional bits of candy or chocolate, moose tracks, uh, Butterfinger, that kind of stuff. That's I guess that's what you're looking for in your ice cream? Yes, exactly. And maybe I'm in search of a new adjective then because I've been confusing <laughs> a lot of people with my use of the word chunky. 
Well, I guess it's the opposite of down here. Uh, we've got a lot of Chick-fil-A's and ice dream is the ice cream that they serve. And it's just mm. a super smooth, very creamy. Tastes like the hand churn stuff oh. that your grandma it used is, to oh, make. It does. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of got like the like a old school homemade flavor going on with it. But Gilbert, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I guess it was a couple months ago we talked with uh, Clark Howard. And he also, that's his splurge. He, uh, <laughs> he spent we'll the, the get... top dollar on really nice ice cream. So you two ought to get together, do a little tour of the country, and uh, <laughs> visit all the best ice cream spots. Oh, uh, I love that. Yeah, but go, uh, we want to dig into your background just a little bit before we kind of start talking about your book. Your career expertise, it, it basically started when you were pretty young at the age of uh, 14. Can you share that story with us? Sounds good. Yeah, it's kind of weird that it all began back when... Most of us, I certainly were focused on playing video games more so than building (laughs) our careers, Um, where I was 14 years old and my mom, who is a single mother, came home with a pink slip and it said that she was laid off from the sewing machine factory job that she had held since she was 12 years old. Mm. And I, as the person in the house who knew how to speak English and get onto the internet, became the person to step up. And so I ended up spending recesses learning to write resumes and cover letters, afternoons at the public library looking for jobs, and evenings coaching my mom. I put very thick, italicized, bolded quotes around coach. It was really the blind leading the blind there. Um, We applied to hundreds of jobs and didn't end up getting any callbacks where my mom ended up actually returning to school, getting an early child care assistant certificate. And so things worked out, but it was that experience that led to me wondering, what was I missing? How could I, as someone who did well in school, who saw myself as resourceful, not be able to help my mom get back on her feet? And it took a number of years for me to find the answer. And it actually took a few experiences after that to find the answer. One of which came in high school where I met a student from another school who had applied to Yale University and had gotten in. And over the course of getting to know her and having her take me under her wings, I learned that getting into college required a lot more than just tossing over an essay and Mm. hoping for the best. There was a certain style of essay that people were expecting. There's a certain way of holding your hands, your teacher's hands through the admissions process, the recommendation process that no one really tells you about. And these unspoken rules, as I call them now, ended up working. I ended up becoming the first in my family to go to Harvard, to to go to college in general, but was lucky enough to have gotten into Harvard as an undergraduate. And when I was at Harvard, it was the first time that I was within such close proximity to so many people who could call their parents doctors and lawyers and senators, people that I would read about in the newspapers, but (laughs) didn't even know I could interact with. Yeah. And over the course of getting to know these classmates and friends started realizing that there's really this informal curriculum that some of us end up getting over the dinner table from our parents, mentors, siblings, that many more of us, folks from my background, for example, end up never getting and end up having to learn through trial and error. And so over the course of my early career and to this day, I started reflecting on, wow, well, what responsibility do I have to hopefully pave a smoother path for people coming after me? And that all has led to me writing this book and hoping to spend the next stretch of my career paving a smoother path for people coming after me. Yeah. In your book, you actually say that there are insiders and outsiders, even in like the prestigious world of a college like Harvard, and you felt like an outsider. So <laughs> why was that? Like, what, what were those, what was causing those feelings? Yeah, it was this feeling of looking left, looking right, almost as if it were a middle school dance, and seeing everyone grooving on the dance floor, and you looking left, looking right, and standing there awkwardly being like, there's something I'm missing here. Hmm. And I got to say, I I totally identify with that because that sounds like exactly what happened to me in seventh grade. (laughs) You and I both. So y'all just stood there awkwardly and me and my friend Javier were just playing tag. (laughs) We were the idiot (laughs) sixth graders that everyone was just like, what are you doing? This is a dance. (laughs) It, It happens on a regular basis at a higher education institution. It happens all the time in, in the workplace and it, it manifests itself in the form of, in, in college, for example, 
some students really knowing how to navigate the system and building good relationships with their, with their professors, knowing how to navigate recruiting events and job fairs and getting jobs that aren't even advertised. And then in the workplace, you have some folks who put their heads down and work hard and wonder why they're not getting that promotion or that high-profile project. Meanwhile, someone else who may be working less hard or less or are less competent end up getting all that visibility. It's not a matter of what you know, it's a matter of who you know, and it's not a matter of whether you're just simply fulfilling the job description that you've been assigned, but it's about how you go above and beyond in these unspoken, unwritten ways. Yeah. And, and even still, like you endured some real hardships growing up. And yeah, like you said, it wasn't the smoothest path for you to get where you are now, even though you were a hard worker. You know, you're, we're talking about these unspoken rules. Like it's almost as if <laughs> like you were learning proper etiquette. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not something that it's necessarily directly taught, but it's something that sometimes folks are able to learn either secondhand or they see it demonstrated or there's there's somebody else in their life that is able to kind of mentor them or, or, or shepherd them. But yeah, like, I don't know, the more we kind of dove into your book, I was just like, man, th- this really feels like being taught like manners or, or just proper etiquette <laughs> or like Southern etiquette or something different that isn't as widespread as you would expect. Yeah. And the thing about so many of these unspoken rules is they can come across as common sense. And, and I've gotten that feedback from some people who would say, why are you just writing down common sense? And it, it actually led to a point where I was contemplating the subtitle of of the book. And one of the options of like a couple dozen uh, was common sense that's only common sense looking back. And, mm. and that's how mm. I feel about so many of these rules. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. So, some of them, like when I'm reading them, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense intuitively to me. But you're probably right. Part of it is because of like the water I swam in, like how I grew up. Well, I think it probably too depends on just the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah. I, th- I think there, there might be certain professions, certain fields where maybe interacting with other folks isn't as important. So there maybe there is less uh, reading people's emotions or understanding communication style, different things like that. And True. It, maybe it might only be about the work. But I think as our world evolves, it's clear that it's not just about doing really good work. You have to be able to integrate into the, these systems uh, and to do that well in order to be successful. Yeah, and, and Gorik, now you help first-generation low-income students so that they don't have to go through like trial and error scenarios, right? Like some of the some of the ones that you went through in, in your life. And yeah, what would you say, like, are navigating these unspoken rules like the biggest hurdles that they face when it comes to succeeding in the workplace? Yeah, I'd say the unspoken rules are a big piece. I'd say another piece is around confidence. And a sentence I often find myself saying to to first-gen low-income college students and those who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds is that there's a difference between confidence and competence, where competence is how much you know and can do. Confidence is how much you think you know and can do. And you need both, where I often hear stories of people, and I was certainly in this situation myself, where you're in a meeting and you have this idea that you want to bring up, but you're thinking to yourself and you have the self-talk of, hmm, is this a stupid comment or is this common sense? And so you're, you're debating with yourself constantly about, is it even worth raising this idea? And five minutes later, someone else says the exact same thing and gets all the credit. <laughs> in, in those situations, I, I, I've certainly found myself in this situation uh, a fair bit. And I start realizing, wait a sec, is it the case that this actually was a smarter comment than I had thought and or this other person may just have lower expectations than I do for what makes a smart comment and in having lower standards, they they ended up getting all the credit and getting ahead. That's the difference between competence and confidence. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost as if overthinking it can just... Yeah, sometimes sit really? back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many of these uh, unspoken rules do you think have to do with just cultural differences between whether it be just the different backgrounds that families have or, or where individuals are raised in the United States? That's a big one for sure. Um, and I would say that these unspoken rules are becoming more and more important as companies have more global teams and are hiring folks from very different backgrounds where some of these cultural norms may not have permeated the waters in the same way that they may have permeated the waters for, 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 for these so-called insiders. And so when I think of working cultures 
across geographies, certainly there are some that are more hierarchical, where you speak when spoken to. There are others that are less hierarchical, where you're expected to speak up, contribute, disagree with your manager, and in fact, disagreement is is encouraged and and rewarded. And then there are also, uh, as I think about my Asian upbringing, for example, certainly there's this unspoken norm or hidden expectation that you'd respect your elders. And when someone who is higher ranking, older, more experienced is speaking, you'd wait your turn. And you'd not only just wait your turn, but you'd withhold your comments until you're called upon, if you are even called upon. Hmm. And so there is some unlearning and relearning. That's not to say that there's a right or wrong way of doing things. To your point, it's very much a matter of cultural differences where in American working culture, because of this difference between confidence and competence, the people who make it up to the top aren't necessarily the most competent. They might just be the Mm. most confident. And so there is this, this phenomenon where the system as it stands, at least in American corporate life, doesn't always reward people for the characteristics that organizations really care about. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Well, we, we want to talk more about the unspoken rules and you know, get into some of what they are and talk about how you can you know, think about those so that you can improve your work habits inside of the place where you're working. And we'll get to yeah, some more questions with Gorik about that right after this break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the Money App 
Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back. Uh, we're speaking with Gorik Ng about his book, The Unspoken Rules uh, of Career Success, is our topic today. And Gorik, your book is it's kind of a, a how-to guide. There are things, like we, like we said earlier, that like managers expect you to implicitly know, but uh, many of these things are never explicitly taught uh, in your first chapter in your book. It's, it's all about the three Cs. You've already mentioned one of them, which is competence, but the other ones are commitment and compatibility. You sort of introduced this as the framework for the book. Uh, and so why do you feel that it is just so important to prove yourself in all three of these areas specifically? Yeah, it's because when we show up in the workplace, and I define workplace as in an interview, in your first day in a new role, and frankly, thereafter until you retire, the people around you, your clients, partners, managers, coworkers, they're sizing you up and they're asking themselves three questions. Question one is, can you do this job well, which is competence? Question two is, are you excited to be here? which is commitment. And question three is, do we get along, which is compatibility? Competence, commitment, compatibility, the three C's. Your job, frankly, all of our jobs, it's to convince the people around us to answer yes to all three questions all the time. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe augment my, my statement earlier uh, by saying that supposedly the three C's count in the realm of dating as well. So it may not just be a workplace concept, could it potentially be a life concept? That's something hmm. that's uh, a more recent shower thought for me now. Yeah, I feel like actually I heard you refer to like marriage advice and how um, building compatibility with coworkers can be similar to building compatibility inside of like a long-term partnership. Like, yeah, do you think there are some similarities there? Yeah, I'm thrilled you're mentioning this because this is actually one of my favorite ideas from the book, even though I don't spend all that much time talking about it. It's this idea of bids, which is an idea that was created by a psychologist and a marriage expert named Dr. John Gottman. Dr. John Gottman observed couples that stay together and have happy marriages and compared them to couples who end up separating. And his question was, what separates those who stay together from those who separate? And he found that the lowest common denominator was something called bids, where I'll illustrate it with an example where if your significant other says something like, I'm hungry, and let's say you're driving down the freeway, you've got three options. You can either <laughs> pull off at of the McDonald's is one, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> you can ignore the bid. So just keep driving, pretend as if they didn't say anything. Or the third one is you can smack down that bid and you can say, didn't you just eat? Or aren't you trying to lose weight? Ooh. <laughs> Don't do that one. <laughs> and uh, as you might be able to, to guess, there's a right answer to, to this question. I, I suspect uh, that you all are thinking of the right answer now, but just to toss it back to you, what's your guess? Well, I'm guessing it's like, yeah, what you feeling like? Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> or, stop and grab you something. Or I'm like very like analytical. It's like, all right, are you hungry in like the next 10 minutes hungry? Or are you talking in like the next two hours? Because we're on a long <laughs> right. trip, you know, sometimes you just want to make good time. Or you might be like, I brought a granola bar. Uh, <laughs> it's in my backpack. Let me grab it for you. Exactly. So I can already tell that you're, you're in positive relationship territory uh, because according to this research, the right answer is to recognize the bid, which you both have done, and to positively embrace this bid, which you have also both done. And this is what is the lowest common denominator to 
what makes for a happy relationship in marriage. And yes, this is a marriage concept, but as I think about relationship building more broadly and career building more broadly, I think we can translate this idea of bidding into the workplace where every email, every meeting that you're invited to, every exchange of eye contact, that too is a bid. It's an invitation. It's a hidden opportunity for you to step up, build a relationship that may not have otherwise existed, make an impact, and potentially grow your career. Mm -hmm. And so this bidding idea is is one that I've been thinking about a lot because, and and maybe this comes back to the first-generation low-income college students that, that I advise at Harvard, where I can't help but think that we all, over the course of our lives, are almost walking down a similar art gallery together. And we're all looking at the same painting, but we're coming to two different conclusions around what this painting depicts. One of us could see this painting and see the boats in the foreground or the sunset in the background. Someone else could see the the trees in the distance. And I think of this walking down an art gallery slash observing a painting comparison as apt for real life because... Over the course of our everyday lives, we're going to be faced with so many bids, so many opportunities, but it takes a special mindset and awareness to be able to recognize these bids and to embrace these bids. That's the key to to getting in and getting ahead. That's going to be the key to working with others, uh, especially. I mean, I guess if you... If you're you're constantly slamming down their bids, (laughs) yeah, it's not going to go well. It doesn't lead to very good teamwork. And maybe if you're working by yourself, that's something that you don't have to consider quite as much. But certainly, yeah, if you're working with a partner or working on a team, you got to keep that in mind. Uh, Gorick, one of the unspoken rules that you mentioned in your book, proactivity. What does that look like? Why why is this so important when it comes to getting ahead in your career? Mm -hmm. Well, for the early career folks, I, I like to say that school is about keeping up. So not procrastinating, whereas work and life is about stepping up. It's about going the extra mile. It's about looking around corners. It's about asking, how can I be helpful? And then ultimately being helpful. And when it comes to getting ahead in the workplace, whether you're striving for a promotion, more important responsibilities, the respect of your coworkers, better relationships and expanded network, so much of this comes down to not just being reactive, but proactive. So being the person that says, hey, I noticed this, how can I be helpful? Or I noticed this, have we considered that? Or, hey, I was thinking about options A, B, and C. I was thinking of B, what do you think? Which is a very different way of interacting with your coworkers compared to saying, hey, Joel, Matt, what do I do next? Hmm. In which case, a lot of managers will say, well, what do you think? You kind of want to have that, be able to offer up a solution from the get-go. Right. And it is one of these unspoken norms in the workplace where these high performers at work are ones who aren't just going to their managers and coworkers with problems, but are coming to the table with proposals and solutions. Yeah. A, A part of being proactive is thinking ahead and having the ability to tell your own story and tell it well. And you kind of talk about that in the book. Why do you feel like that is so important? And especially uh, some of us maybe were raised in cultures where talking about ourselves was something that was frowned on. It's always like you're always defecting, but you have to be able to talk about yourself well, right? Yes. And it's the first question you'll get in every interview, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is tell me about yourself. As or, they're sitting down in the chairs. So, <laughs> tell me about yourself. <laughs> I, can, I can see the hiring manager right now. Exactly. And it's, it's a nerve-wracking question because if you just take it at face value, which I did and so many students that I advise still do, which is, okay, tell you about myself. So do, do you want to know about my hometown? Are you asking about my <laughs> hobbies? What I ate for breakfast this morning? <laughs> it's this ambiguous question. Uh, but there is an unspoken way of answering this question, which is in the form of what's called the hero's journey, which is a, a concept by Joseph Campbell, where he looked at the, the tales that have lasted the test of time. And he's looked at, you know, the Anakin Skywalkers of the world, uh, the Harry Potters of the world, the Mulans of the world, etc. And all of these heroes and heroines, they have a past, a present, and a future where there's a spark that led to this journey starting in the first place. There's a journey that this hero or heroine goes down of 
slaying dragons and hopping over fire pits, all in the interest of pursuing some broader goal. And when people are asking, tell me about yourself, they're actually in some ways asking for your hero's journey, where they're asking you to say something like, you know, I've always been interested in climate change. As someone who grew up in a coastal community, I saw my dad, who was a fisherman, struggle to meet his quota season after season after season. And over the course of growing up and pursuing a, a degree in environmental science, I started realizing that, wow, it's not just an issue that my dad is facing, but it's a problem that all of humanity is and will be facing. So as I think about what I'd like to do in the future, I'd love to combine my interest in environmentalism with my training in data science to be able to help the world make more data-driven decisions around how to navigate this crisis. So I just totally made that up. <laughs> uh, my dad is not a fisherman. <laughs> um, but but, what but I you're just putting together these different bits and pieces of your life that help tell a story. And I think sometimes it takes a little, it takes some forethought on the front end before you get into that interview to be able to tell that story well, because um, otherwise it's just bits and pieces, it's fragments, and you want to be able to weave it together, right? Exactly, exactly. So uh, what I think of, of course, you don't want to sound all too canned, um, yeah. and, and as if you're reading off a script. So what I like to do is just, have a, a collection of stories in my mind um, where these are, and, and as I think about the other more common questions that you'll get, it's tell me about a time when, right? It's tell me about a time when you had conflict in the workplace or tell me about a time when you had to step up or tell me about a time when you had to own a project from start to finish. Well, all of those things are in some ways also as asking for your hero's journey. So having a bank of what sparked your interest, what you've done to further this interest, and where you'd like to combine things going forward can help you almost pull ingredients out of the fridge to cook up a dish, depending on whatever people want to eat. Yeah, well, you, we kind of are talking about thinking ahead here a little bit. Garrick, it, it seems like so much of excelling at work uh, and getting the job done is thinking ahead. It's, it's amazing, you know, what feeling prepared, what that can do for a meeting or a check-in with your boss. Uh, and so can you share some examples? You, you talk about this in your book. Can you share some examples of what thinking ahead could look like for employees? Yeah, the first one, as I think about meetings, is to mentally rehearse meetings. So before you walk into the room, asking yourself, who's going to be in the room? What are they going to be looking for? What are they going to ask me for? What are they going to ask me about? What's my one smart comment or one smart question? What's my point of view in this topic? And coming prepared, you don't have to necessarily do a book report for yourself every time, but just even the 10 seconds that it takes to join this Zoom call or Teams call or whatnot, refreshing your mind as to what your point of view is and, and who might be in the room and what your contribution is going to be can be the difference between you getting caught off guard and you looking like, and frankly, being put together. Mm. So that's one in something that we all encounter on a daily basis, which is meetings. The, the second is around uh, thinking back to the Alec Baldwin uh, movie of ABC, Always Be Closing. <laughs> That's right. Good old school movie there. Yeah. And ABC is not just a sales concept. It's just as much an email thread concept, for example, where there are some people who will take an email and toss it right back at you. And for example, ask, when are you available? And then they'll say, well, I'm available next week. Well, you could push the agenda forward simply by offering your availability in the other person's time zone. And maybe listing out three, five, in my case, I often will list out my entire week's availability. That way, all the other person has to do is pick a time and you're done versus yeah. having to spend, you know, five, 10 emails going back and forth and asking, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? 
There, there's <laughs> nothing more annoying than going back and forth and back and forth about a time. So I, I agree. Like, yeah, just for simplicity's sake and for being helpful, like tossing out those that time availability is is like, yeah, definitely one easy thing you can do to make people on your team's life a little bit easier. And it, when it comes to managing workload, you know, in the workplace, it's important to know the difference between what's urgent and important, right? You talk about that in your book. Like, how, how do we distinguish between those things and why is that such an important part of being an effective worker? Yeah, this is probably one of the more important concepts, especially as we're all juggling multiple balls at the same time, where important I define as centrality, scrutiny, and criticality. <laughs> so a lot of ease here. Um, Centrality is how core is this responsibility to your role? So if this is something that you're hired to do, that's important. Scrutiny is who's paying attention. So if the CEO is asking for an update, that's probably a sign that this is a high profile project. And Mm. if someone's asking about it, you should be responsive to it. And then finally, criticality is, hey, is this something that if this doesn't get done, nothing else gets done? If so, that's important as well. And urgency I define as proximity, scrutiny, anxiety, and time sensitivity. So again, (laughs) a lot of ease here, where proximity is probably the easiest to define, which is how close you are to the deadline, if there is a deadline. Scrutiny we talked about, which is who's paying attention. Anxiety is something that's unspoken and unwritten, where how anxious are the people around you to to get things done? I, I think of this as if we're driving down a freeway, and you're in the fast lane, but you're driving slowly and everyone's tailgating you, everyone's anxious, you aren't, you're going too slowly. And then finally, time sensitivity is, do things get harder as time goes on? So I think of this as scheduling meetings, for example, where the longer you wait, the more people's calendars will fill up. And so the faster you get this thing scheduled, the sooner you can get that hold, the less anxious people will be. And it's important to think about the difference between important and urgent because what often happens is we let the urgent crowd out the important. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of examples of people who said yes to everything and felt like they did a lot of work, but none of that work ultimately mattered. And so come promotion time, they didn't end up having anything to show despite them being so swamped with work. And so knowing the difference between important and urgent can be the difference between you working hard versus smart or you getting promoted and not promoted. Yeah, it's like getting all the stuff crossed off your to-do list, but maybe (laughs) most of the things that you're able to accomplish, they didn't really matter to the people who are right above you um, or to your boss's boss. It's it's getting those, th- those are the important things that you're, you're going to want to be able to show to your superiors, right? To show that you're, you're actually effective as opposed to just someone who can accomplish tasks. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's coming back to the idea of being proactive. I mean, you don't want to be that rock that has to be kicked constantly where someone mm-hmm. kicks you a little bit, you roll and then you tumble and then there's a thud. <laughs> That's not the person <laughs> you want to be. <laughs> kind of looping back to proactivity, it kind of made me think back to some uh, in your book as well. You talk about setting expectations and how being proactive a lot of times means figuring out what your job is, figuring out what those expectations are. Can you touch on that a little bit? How is that going to impact your success at work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of every job as having almost a major and a minor or uh, a main course and a set of side dishes, insert Mm. whatever analogy or metaphor you want here, where we all in our day jobs have have to do's and nice to do's. So as I think back to centrality, one of these core tenets to importance, if you were hired to do something, or if there's a project that if this doesn't get done, your head is on the guillotine, that's all of a sudden important. And, And so when you first join a role or when you're first approaching a project, it can be helpful to think about, okay, where do I need to be perfect? Because this is really what's going to be scrutinized. And where do I only need to be good enough? Where maybe I can cut some corners or not treat this so urgently or not spend so much time on, on, on this. And so one of the questions that often gets overlooked when you're joining a new team or entering a new role is to ask your manager, hey, what do you expect me to have done or accomplished in by the end of my first three months or six months or a year? Or what do you consider high priorities and maybe mediocre priorities? 
Um, I guess people don't generally like to think of things as low priority, so I hesitate to maybe drop that in your first conversation with your manager. <laughs> What's the stuff I shouldn't care about at all, okay? Let's get real here. So, I, I mean, so much of this is is around doing this hint, hint, nudge, nudge of, hey, what can I kind of cut corners on, which is going to keep you sane, uh, but you have to sort of approach this conversation in a in a polite, politically correct way, which is asking, mm. hey, what's top priority? Because yeah. I want to make sure I'm doing a good job of that. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that can be difficult when you have a job that encompasses a lot of responsibilities and you're looking at your job description and you see all these things. But what, what it sounds like you're trying to do here is getting your, your boss or your supervisor to boil it all down for you. Yeah. Uh, like Just like you said, at the end of three months, what what has to be done? Uh, what would what would be nice uh, to have accomplished. I think that's all smart. We've got a few more questions that we want to ask you here right after the break. I feel like so far we've kind of touched on ways to get your career kicked off right. Uh, and so after the break, we're actually, we want to ask some questions about kind of moving on from a career when it comes to looking you know, towards the, the next step in your career. So we'll get to all of those right after this break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. 
and you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back from the break. We're still talking with Gorik Ng uh, about the unspoken rules of career success. And Matt just hinted to this. We're going to talk about maybe moving on from a job you're you're not so interested in anymore. And Gorik, you said that actually, ideally, your next job is one that you don't even have to apply for. That sounds that sounds pretty nice. Uh, you talk about positioning yourself so that opportunities are flowing to you. How do you actually make that happen in reality? Yeah, this is one of the more important concepts because it's really speaking to not just putting your head down, but being strategic about maneuvering your way from where you are to where you want to go. Hmm. And I'll illustrate with an example that unfortunately didn't make it into the book, but it's of a late 20-something who had zero acting experience, had zero experience in Hollywood, but wanted to break into the entertainment scene. And his journey actually lasted five years. So he also had patience um, in addition to the three C's where he was working as uh, a business analyst unrelated uh, at all to the entertainment field. But what he did was he went to entertainment conferences and strategically sat beside the people that he wanted to meet he would introduce himself and strike up a conversation with those who matter. He'd get their business cards or their emails and send a thank you email. He'd follow up with them with life updates. He'd pass on opportunities that these individuals may be interested in. He dug through his university and even his high school yearbook in search of people who were even remotely connected to the entertainment scene in LA. And then finally, he just cold emailed like mad. And Mm -hmm. over the course of just putting himself out there in all these different ways and making it a habit, he ended up meeting someone who five years later ended up reaching out to him and saying, hey, what are you looking for? Hmm. And actually, this nicely ties back to our earlier conversation about the hero's journey, because when this person reached out and asked, what are you looking for? They're asking for your hero's journey. Yeah. And this person ended up saying, well, I've done this and this, this is where I'd like to go. The person who reached out ended up saying, actually, this is exactly the role that I'm looking to hire for. Hmm. Let me forward your resume over to HR. That's awesome. That, that's so much better than what I would have done. I would have just like looked up like Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt on LinkedIn and I would have like tried to <laughs> try to friend them there. But I'm pretty sure a, you may have done that as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go one of the movie star uh, home tours and be like, uh, exactly. I'll get out here. Uh, <laughs> start yelling from out in front of the fence. Uh, well, Garrick, you know, you kind of mentioned going to these different conferences, sitting down next to the people who you're hoping to get to know. That sort of sounds like finding a mentor to, uh, to a certain extent, right? Because if you can, you know, if you hit it off and they like you and it's a, a conversation you can continue, if that's an email chain that continues for a while, that can be somebody who can mentor you. And so how important do you think that is? And, you know, this is one small example of what a mentor might look like. And so I'm interested to hear just maybe some other examples too, but how important is it? And, and how do you find the right mentor for you uh, and then actually make that connection? Say it's an industry where you aren't able to sit down next to that person, you know, at a conference. Uh, how do you reach out beyond your current network? Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing actually is to, to define mentor in a less scary way um, <laughs> where when I was first introduced the, to the to the term and the concept of a mentor, I thought, wow, like I don't know anyone in high places. Uh, but when I redefine mentor, not as some hotshot person who's high up and therefore un- inaccessible, if I instead define mentor as someone who knows something you don't know, or someone who can help you figure out what you don't know, you don't know, but should know, I start realizing that actually a mentor could be anybody. My classmates are mentors. My friends are mentors. Family members are mentors. And what it takes to find these mentors and to nurture these relationships, 
it involves what I call climbing the relationship ladder, where if you imagine a ladder with different rungs, at the very bottom are strangers. And just by definition, most people in the world are going to be strangers to you. But over the course of recognizing bids and embracing bids, you can turn someone who's otherwise a stranger into an acquaintance. And maybe that's a matter of opening the door for someone or holding the door open or thanking someone who delivered a, an especially good presentation or asking a question at an event and following up or sending a thank you email or just simply DMing someone over Teams or Zoom or any other video chat platform that we may be using during our work from home days. All of these micro actions are actually elevating someone from stranger status to acquaintance status. And then from acquaintance status, you can then follow up and have maybe a one-on-one -on -one conversation, in which case they become your allies, where you're looking out for them and they're looking out for you. And over the course of nurturing those relationships, you may have a couple of people who you may end up having deeper conversations with. These become your mentors. And then finally, if you're looking up the chain of command in your organization, there are people who are called sponsors, who are people who are a part of those promotion committees who really are high up in your organization and who can bang the table and say, hey, we need to absolutely give this opportunity to Joel and Matt. I would trust them with my life. And mm -hmm. what it takes to get these people up isn't to just throw them up there. I think these are maybe the people that give networking a bad name, <laughs> people who meet you for the first time and are maybe overly transactional, but who bring you up this relationship ladder one rung at a time. So I think it actually nicely brings us back full circle to where we began, which is finding these hidden opportunities to turn people who are otherwise strangers into acquaintances following up, sending thank you emails, digging through databases, and doing all of these all the time as a habit. Yeah, I like that. And I like, too, the way you kind of talk about mentorship and how you can have, like, a few different mentors. It, do, it doesn't have to be... I, sometimes, I guess, growing up, I always felt like asking someone to be your mentor was like asking them to be a third parent to you or something like that. <laughs> um, and it feels like this this big ask. And I could see if someone came up to me and was like, will you be my mentor? That I would just be freaked out a little bit. And I think that there's like a soft way of kind of finding someone who can help mentor you without it being this uber formal um, relationship that maybe a lot of people might not want to partake in. Uh, I want to ask you too, Gorik, about like right now, what's happening kind of in the workplace has been called the great resignation. A lot mm. of people ready to move on to a new job. So when it comes to leaving, though, there's a right way and a wrong way to leave. So how would you recommend someone who is thinking about you know, moving on just to another competitor in the same space that they're in or moving on to a completely different industry or going to work for themselves? Like however they depart, how can they leave graciously? Mm -hmm. I, I think of this as a bit of a, a litmus test or, or three criteria that I would encourage folks to, to think about where A you want to leave your team not feeling blindsided. B, you want to leave your team in a position where they can keep the show running without you. And C, you want to leave the team in a position where they've got line of sight to a successor who can fill your role. And it's a bit of a tall order to achieve all three, and I realize that all three may not be attainable all mm. the time. But I'd also say that Number one is more important than number two, which is more important than number three, where the most important thing is to not leave your folks blindsided. Second most important is to make sure that there's continuity, that things aren't just going to fall to pieces with you absent. And then three is if you can maybe even help find someone who can, who can take on your role in the future. It all depends on the extent of the relationship that you'd want to maintain the reputation that you want to leave behind, where if you want to not only not burn the bridge, but leave that bridge smelling like flowers, <laughs> do all three. Right, if, right. if it's a normal situation, do one and two. And if you want to leave amicably, which I suspect many of us do because reputation is, is so important, then 
make sure that you're at least not leaving people blindsided. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, at the very least, do number one. Uh, so how do you do that then? <laughs> because obviously, you, you probably don't want to forecast. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be out of here in six months. That sounds like too much time. Yeah. But if you're like, <laughs> they're like no, actually, you're out of here this Friday. Yeah. <laughs> but then if you go in that morning and you're like, hey, this is my last day. Uh, and so obviously, there's there's some place uh, in between. And so from a time frame standpoint, what's what do you, what do you feel like is ideal? Uh, and then what are the best ways of, of actually going about making that announcement? Yeah, you know, this is a, a, a bit of a tricky question because I, I know that if you go on to Google, people will say, well, it's two weeks. If it's two weeks in one day, that's too long. And if it's two weeks minus one day, it's too short. I, I actually came up with this sort of three-pronged litmus test uh, as a way of hopefully helping folks think about what it means to not surprise your coworkers for your own individual context. Mm. It may be two weeks for your coworkers to not feel blindsided. It may be a month. I've left jobs before where I've actually given that three-month notice because mm. I knew that my role was one that was hard to, to, to backfill. So I'm going to give you a bit of that cop-out answer of saying, make sure you're mindful of these three and you will likely, for your own circumstances, come upon is it two weeks? Is it three weeks? Is it four weeks kind of thing? Gotcha. Yeah. In a recent article, Gorick, you mentioned that everyone is the captain of their own career. And if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, probably a good way to encourage us to take the reins of our own lives and of our, our futures and what it looks like to continue to progress either in the career that we're in or to move on to something, you know, in the in the near future that we're more more excited about. What final advice do you have for how to money listeners when it comes to steering their career towards success? Mm. Well, given that this is the how to money uh, podcast, hey, I, that's I, us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll frame this perhaps around capital, where I I know in a number of prior episodes you talk about the the trade off between time and money. As always, yeah. as as two forms of capital or currency, as I think about capital, I think of it as things that we can spend and accumulate. Maybe not time, although maybe you can save a bit of time. We have a finite amount of time. When I start thinking about capital in the context of our careers, I start thinking about how there are really three additional forms of capital. One is human capital, which is what you know and can do. The second is social capital, which is who you know. And then the final one is reputational capital, which is who knows you and what they know you for. And when I think about our careers, it's really a matter of playing your cards well across these five forms of capital and making sure that you're making the right trade-offs where maybe it's not all about the money and it's about the human capital, the learning that you'll get. Maybe it's about signing up for this project so you can meet more people. Maybe it's about building a good reputation so that you can use this opportunity as a stepping stone to that next opportunity. So being mindful of how you're pulling these levers can hopefully help folks better navigate these unfamiliar situations. That is great advice. It makes sense because there are going to be, I mean, we should probably be paying attention to all of them, but I think there are certain forms of capital here that you mentioned that are going to be more important to us as individuals. Uh, There might be these different areas that we want to pursue more than others because they they just mean more to us. And so I think kind of starting with that end in mind can definitely inform the decisions that we make as we advance through our careers. Garrick, this has been uh, a really insightful conversation. Where can can folks go to learn more about you uh, as well as what else you have going on? Yeah, the best way to stay in touch is through my website. It's gorick.com. That's G-O-R-I-C-K. Dot com. I'm on the different social media platforms, which you'll see on my website, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok even, uh, and <laughs> especially LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out and I would love to stay in touch. This awesome. is actually a bid, by the way. This is a bid to your audience. That, uh, <laughs> we'll I, see who reaches out. Call. We'll see who takes advantage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome, Gorik. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. This is an amazing time. Thank you. All right, Joel, what a very insightful conversation uh, that I feel like we just had here with Gorick. I feel like his book, it's a book telling you how to do everything 
but your job, right? <laughs> like, like we all have different professions and we all were essentially hired for one specific task or maybe a couple tasks related to the one job that you're supposed to do. But Growwork's book is just all about all the other things that we have to do in addition to that one task uh, to make sure that we're successful, to make sure that we're compatible with, with those around us. Yeah, and I feel like it's a lot of his advice. Like he said, he drew some from marriage advice and what it looks like to be uh, you know, a good coworker in the workplace. And so I think some of the advice he gives is is eminently applicable to the work you're doing and how to do it well. But it's also applicable to, I don't know, being a better human being, communicating better with the, <laughs> the people that you know live under the same roof with or family members who, you know, live a ways away. Like it's just, yeah, it's a really good book with a lot of helpful stuff. But yeah, what was your big takeaway from that combo? So I liked how he redefined what a mentor is because essentially it seems like this very daunting, intimidating word. Oh, sort of like you said, you know, like, will you be my mentor? It's like, oh man, I'm freaking out over here. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of responsibility. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've already got three kids. I don't need another one. <laughs> or like before you had kids, you're just like, oh, I'm only 28. Like, like I'm not ready for this. Right. Uh, this kind of commitment. But I love how he defined it, which is it can be as simple as finding somebody who is one step down, further down the path than you are. It can be somebody who just knows one more thing than you do. And they can be a mentor. To me, that doesn't sound like a mentor, but maybe what that means is we should just completely get rid of that term yeah. uh, because I'm afraid that that's keeping people from reaching out to people and thinking about those relationships in that way. It doesn't have to be this Obi-Wan, Anakin, Skywalker <laughs> relationship where, where you're passing the skills down from a, you know, a mature Jedi Knight <laughs> down we, to a, like a kid in training. Will you be my Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just found that specifically really helpful, the way he redefined what uh, a mentor could be in your life. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yeah, so how about you? What was your big takeaway from this convo? Okay, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me was when he was talking about when you're going to college, you're keeping up. Mm. And when you get in the workplace, it's all about stepping up. Mm -hmm. And I can totally identify with that because if you bring that college mentality in like, I just got to show up to class on time, turn in my paper by the deadline, you feel like you're, you are just trying to get by and you're trying to hope, hopefully at least keep up that B average or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, in the workplace, there is, if you want to get ahead, like if you want to succeed, if you want a promotion, if you want to be able to move up the ladder and hopefully increase your earnings, which on how to money, like we're, we're down with you increasing your earnings. We think that's a good thing. Then there are things that you have to pay attention to and you can't treat it like you did college. You have to be more about stepping up and that does involve proactivity, right? You're going to have to work on your communication style and you're going to have to think ahead uh, when it comes to what jobs are the most crucial, which ones you, you need to get done. You even have to change your approach to meetings, which is one of the things he said in this interview. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think that's a really important distinction to make if you're still kind of thinking about your work like you did going to college uh, in all likelihood you're going to be kind of stuck and you're going to feel stuck um after after a little while yeah b average is what you <laughs> said you can't you can't get into harvard with a b average no 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 I, i'm a, not saying Gorick had a b average <laughs> you gotta have a 4.0 i was closer to that than, than uh, he was for everyone out there but i mean we're kind of joking about just keeping up in school but even for folks who are in school if you're able to, even at a at an earlier age to switch that mentality i think from a keeping up to stepping up mentality if you're in school and you're stepping up, you're going to be the class president. You're going to stand out from all of the rest. You're going to be the one getting the uh, the job offers before you've even graduated. Yeah. And that's the kind of situation uh, you want to find yourself in if you're a college graduate. But definitely, like you said, those are the things that you need to do uh, within a professional environment as well. But let's go ahead and get back to the beer that you and I enjoyed on this episode. Today, you and I both had a Belgian Aloha. And this is a Belgian triple with hibiscus uh, brewed in Lewis Center, Ohio. Never heard of this brewery. This one was sent to us by Scott. Thank you so much for donating this one, plus another one that we're going to enjoy here on the podcast. Joel, what were your thoughts? Yeah, man, this one was light and refreshing, and it really did have like a little bit of Belgium and a little bit of Hawaii mixed in. Oh, yeah. You know, it had it had some of those <laughs> Belgian notes of a classic triple, some of that like Belgian spice thrown in there, while at the same time, the hibiscus gave it a little bit more of a tropical vibe. It was, I would say it was refreshing. It was tasty. Um, I Yeah, I enjoyed it. And it's not necessarily the kind of beer I normally go for. Belgian triples aren't normally my thing. I think sometimes those Belgian spices are actually a little overwhelming to my palate, but this one was kind of muted. Yeah. 
yeah. in that way. So I, I appreciate it. Because of the the hibiscus. I yeah. assume those those uh, floral notes that the hibiscus was able to bring to this beer. Like when we poured it, I was like, oh, this is a really pretty beer. It was like halfway between like pink and orange. It looks like a rosé or something. It is. Well, so on the can, it actually says that. It says this is a, a French slash Belgian ale that's rosy, oh. bubbly and strong on the finish. Totally true. It, it definitely kind of had those rosé vibes going on. I really enjoyed this one. And I agree. Yeah, it didn't have those heavy kind of triple clove kind of spices it was almost more just sort of like a muted belgian herbally notes that it was able to uh, show up with but uh, either way we really enjoyed this one and uh, scott thank you again for sending this one for us to enjoy on the podcast no doubt all right well that's going to do it for this episode folks who want show notes and links to go rick's book and his website you can go to our website at howtomoney.com that's right and so that's going to be it dude until next time best friends out best friends out Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.